All right. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. We're, we're talking about a, the lost art of friendship for the month of September, so it seems odd to say stop being friendly, but uh, grab some snacks, got your coffee, we've got to work our way towards Waffle Sunday for the first time. Now, I, I don't think many of them are in the room. Is anybody in the room that brought waffle batter this morning? Nope. I think they're all out there guarding their waffle batter. Oh, all right. Rob, although Patty made it, so I don't know. Yeah, Liz, right? Chris. Oh, get in line for Chris's. I assume the bourbon bakes out of the waffle batter. Is that how it works? I don't know. We'll find out. You'll know if you get Chris's, I'm sure. All right. So in the middle of uh, is today, is, there's football on today, right? NFL? So I'm just so honored that you guys are here. This is, uh, we've lost a few. We lost a piano player to football. So let's get uh, prayed up. Derek, we're going to punt announcements till the last, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about, well, I'll tell you what we'll talk about in a minute. Let's get prayed up. Heavenly Father, it is an honor to be in your presence, although for most of us, we didn't notice. We spent our week, we spent our life to this point with the option to always be in your presence. Would you call us by name in a way that we can hear it? Would you speak our language as we see in the Bible over and over? And would you give us the courage to trust that while our friends may let us down, our family may disappoint us, with you we have the option to never be alone. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. The uh, teenagers, I assume, will make their way in. They're the ones in charge of bacon. Pretty excited about, about that. At our house, the 14-year-old is in charge of bacon. So uh, we just expanded that out, and it's always good at our house. So we're talking about the lost art of friendship. We're talking about the last several weeks. We're going to spend the next several weeks talking about the importance of friendship. We build our whole, we structure the whole church around the opportunity to make friends. That's why there's snacks. That's why there's coffee as you walk in. That's why the table's around. That's why there's Waffle Sunday. We find it um, crucial. We organize around it. Jesus said it's the entire point of life. Relationships. Love God, love our Creator, and love those He created. Love God and love others. Jesus said is the, is the whole point. So today's the dark side of friendship. It's, uh, if you've been here, it's what you've been thinking about. I've been up here extolling the, the, the virtues of friendship. You want a good friend at work. You need good friends in your life, and you've been thinking, yeah, but. So today is, yeah, but, Sunday for friendships. Thinking of the losers you've suffered in your life, the topic today is betrayal. I don't even have to tell you a, a heart-wrenching personal story of betrayal because you already have yours. So we're just going to jump in to the Bible. Maybe you're all excited this year and you thought, I'm going to read the Bible. Opening pages, the creator of the universe has betrayal. Page three. Adam and Eve, like, wait, we have one option to not go with you? All right, we'd like that option. Jesus was betrayed. Judas Iscariot. And here we go. It's part of the human condition. I think, my personal theory, tomorrow, 9-11, and while we'll be remembering being attacked on our soil and the, the, those of us old enough, the crazy images, and I and, uh, used to live there and... So there was one of our five o'clock places. It's five o'clock somewhere. That's what, that was one of our places. There's this really interesting ground floor. Never been up in all of the, t the World Trade Towers. But when it went, I was thinking of, of my times there. Tomorrow, 9-11, people died. And 
then what comes out is the conspiracy theories. I think it's easier for us to, to think that betrayal somehow is involved rather than someone just filled with hatred seeking our destruction. We don't get that that often. We don't get people seeking our destruction that often. Betrayal? Oh, that one we know. So we assume somehow it must have been an inside job. So here we go, way back when. You've heard of the story of David and Goliath. David the shepherd boy takes out the big warrior, Goliath. What you may not know is that David had already been said, you're the next king. Or he'd been in this private ceremony. David the shepherd boy was the next king. Saul, the current king, didn't care for that. Led to a whole thing. And Saul's son, Jonathan, was great friends with David. But Saul, like the rest of us, didn't want to admit that he was so far off track with God that he had lost his job. We don't like to admit that. He could have come back, but he never did. So now we get to this point where Saul has been killed and Jonathan has been killed and David is the king. And there's this heartwarming story. David, a man after God's own heart, great warrior. What he wasn't good at, as we'll see, is holding people accountable. Seems odd, doesn't it? The thing is, if you're in leadership, you have to hold people accountable or everybody suffers. So now that God wins, David is king. David's got a problem. His own son, who he never held accountable, is trying to take the kingdom. Talk about betrayal, your own child. And in the middle of all of this, there's a heartwarming story. And all the chaos, dead King Saul has a grandson. David's dear friend, Jonathan, who's, who's dead, had a son, Mephibosheth. He's broken, but he's alive. So here we go. One day, in the middle of all this, David summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Now, not the first thing David did. The first thing David did when he became the new king was set up a government. Then, once there's stability in our life, never enough, but once there's stability in our life, then we can ask the question, God help me, how can I help others? Verse 3, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Why is this thing so wobbly? What's going on up here? Well, the sermon's going to get shorter. I think that's good. Get those waffles ready. So, God was kind to me. I want to pass that on. Is there anyone from Saul's family still alive? A now, you think Harry and, and William have a weird thing going over the monarchy. That's a monarchy nobody even cares about. There's a, we have a British person here currently when I lived in London. I think I was the one most excited about it. The queen actually was coming to my little part of London, and she was opening up a grocery store. She went to cut the ribbon. So I said to my friends, oh, that's great. Let's go. It's walking distance. And with just disdain in their voices, like, nobody's going to go see the queen well, I, I, I think we can. I think we should. We didn't. So we don't really grab the monarchy thing. When Saul's family lost the monarchy to David, that means everybody in Saul's family is at risk of being killed. Not just from David, so that all threats are eliminated, but just from David's people. It's just an opportunity. If you ever wanted to stab somebody, now's your chance. This is how this is. So David asked, is anybody from Saul's family still alive? Anybody. I'd like to show them God's kindness. 
And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Seemed like an odd mention. David and Jonathan, Saul's son, were good friends. Jonathan's son is still alive? Oh, this is great. My dear friend's gone, but his son is alive? This is awesome for David. The, the thing about the feet, when the caretaker of baby Mephibosheth heard that dad and grandpa had been killed, she's now worried about Mephibosheth. So she just grabs the baby and starts running. If you've ever been running in a panic, holding a baby, it's hard to run with a baby. It's been a little while since we had one in our house. Ours are all pretty old, but it's hard to run with a baby. You can move with a baby, but you can't run. And so she fell. She landed on the baby. And Mephibosheth then couldn't walk. As she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. This is a real key to a kid is you can't drop him. And she did. So I'm sure she felt terrible and she was glad he was alive, but now she's got a what kind of medical care was available? So why mention the feet? David fixed, as you're about to see, a couple of key things from Mephibosheth. The fear, I'm not going to kill you, and I'm going to provide for you. But David can't fix everything. We can't fix everything for somebody else. Your grandfather's still dead, your dad is still dead, and you've still got the feet. So we can fix what we can. We can help where we can. We can't fix it for other people. So David, talking to Ziba, said, where is he, this Mephibosheth? Why does he have to ask? Because he's in hiding. Verse 4. So David sent for him. His name was Mephibosheth. I don't know if you're looking for a baby name. There's, uh, there's Beyonce, Oprah, Napoleon, Mephibosheth, right? If you're going to Google a name and have it come up, you Google Ted, mostly going to get serial killers, but, right, it's a while. If you put in my full name, I actually Googled my name, and there's some guy with my name, Swedish, my Jewish dad's Swedish last name, who lives in Sweden, runs a shipping company. He covers the first several pages of, of Google. You don't get to me for a long time, long after I stopped looking. So if you look at Mephibosheth, he's going to come right up. When Mephibosheth came to see King David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect, also a risk. They're going to kill you. Give them full opportunity. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Greetings, Mephibosheth. That's how you want to be greeted by the king, isn't it? Mephibosheth did not respond, Dave, good to see you. You were a friend of my old man, I understand. You know, he died when I was pretty young. Nice to meet you. I have, I had, they're all gone now, I'm old, but back when I was younger, friends of my dad, we were, we were pretty casual with each other. I sometimes called, you know, I might call him Mr. Corginell, Mr. Rosenthal, but usually it was first name as I got older. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Nice to meet you, Mephibosheth. I'm your servant. Very concerned that he's about to lose his head. Verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. David and Jonathan were good friends. I'm going to be the next king. I'm going to take care of you. Well, then Jonathan died, and so he's going to pass that on. David said, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather's soul. Personal property, mostly vineyards. And you will eat here with me at the king's table, a place of great honor. 
Verse 8, Mephibosheth show, bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that, I, that you should show such a kindness to a dead dog like me? There's a woman in the New Testament that says this to, uh, to Jesus. She wasn't dead yet. But a dog, we love our dogs. Throughout history, the way we treat our dogs is odd. It, it's weird. Do other places in the world have dogs in the restaurant next to you? I was in a restaurant several years ago and two dog, a, a dog fight broke out. I'm trying to eat my waffles here, people. What is going on? I don't know. I have lived here for 20 years. Does the rest of the world have dogs just wander in? I remember when we didn't do that. Now it's not uncommon to see dogs everywhere. There's someone this morning at the vet with their dog because their dog met a rattlesnake this morning. So uh, in about four grand, that dog will be fine. But we love our dogs at our house. We love our dog. The Bible doesn't have anything good to say about dogs. It's not equal. There's no dog baby references, dog parents, not a thing in the Bible. So I'm not sure it should be a dog th or a thing in our house, in our life, but uh, not in our house, in our life. Why would you, me, a dead dog, as far as the world, I don't, I don't matter anymore. I used to be the future son of the king. Now, I'm married to an actress in Malibu, right? Isn't that a funny reference? See what I did there? Harry, make it, nothing? All right, all right. I used to be the son of the future king, but now dad's dead, grandpa's dead, and I, my life is at risk, and I, I, I'm, I don't have working feet. I'm, I'm nothing. Why would you show such kindness to me? Mephibosheth bowed respectfully. You should show such kindness to a dead dog like me. Well, the reason is because God showed a lot of kindness to David. He was just a shepherd guy. And now he's, now he's king. Verse 9. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba back. Remember Ziba? And said, I have given your master's grandson. You used to work for Saul. Now you're going to be working for Mephibosheth. I've given him everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him and produce food for your master's household. First time I ever heard of Tucson, Arizona. Someone had gone to the U of A. I had a friend that their family, they had money. And they had the, the palace. And then they hired someone to pretend the rest of the farm was something. It, they didn't grow anything on it. They didn't have animals. It was mostly pretty stuff. But it was someone that went to the University of Arizona School of Agriculture on Campbell that was there. And they worked this, whatever it was, 13 acres. And I, and I met him, the caretaker, and he got his master's degree in agriculture from the University of Arizona. Now, I didn't grow up around here. I didn't think of anything growing in the University or at, the, at Arizona, so I was fascinated by there's a school of, of agriculture. But there's a lot of agriculture around here, it turns out. That's Zeba's job. You are the caretaker. This is the wealthy person. He's going to sit in his big house, and you make sure all of the land is cared for just the way he wants it. You've got a lot of, lot of sons to work the land with you. You've got a lot of employees. That's your job. Produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table, making the point that he has all the honor. You used to work for the king. In essence, you still work for the king. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba was active, right? Can I get an Amen. Verse 11, strong man. Verse 11, Ziba replied, yes, my lord and king, I am your servant and I will do that, do all that you have commanded. Remember that. 
I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Well, one of the sons is about to cause problem. Fast forward, David in trouble. There's a coup. His own son had betrayed him. This is such a crazy betrayal we're talking about this morning. The fact that David's own son was betraying him barely gets a mention. The thing about betrayal can always get worse. When David had gone a little beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives, people are trying to take David's kingdom There's a battle going on, fleeing for his life, trying to reorganize. Mount of Olives, you might remember, that's where they did communion. Then they went to the Mount of Olives with Jesus. So this is the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel writing these stories down for us. Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, as you remember, was waiting there for him. Ziba, waiting for King David. Ziba had two donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread. 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of summer fruits, and a wine skin full of wine. Even in the middle of a revolt doesn't mean you can't stop and enjoy yourself, right? Biblical. Verse 2, David, what are these for? David's at the end of his rope. I don't know what you've got going on in life, but David might have been able to compete with your level of stress. His whole kingdom is collapsing. People are trying to openly kill him. What are these for? The king asked. Zeba replied, the donkeys are for the king's people to ride on. Well, he brought two. And the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat. The wine is for those who become exhausted in the wilderness. I'm not sure that this is what your doctor would prescribe right now. Right? You go for a walk. You don't have enough water. You're dehydrated. But that's what they did. This is really helpful stuff. Now, he did take the stuff from Mephibosheth's field. Not sure it was approved, as we shall see. David is enjoying the fact that Zeba is looking out for him. People are trying to kill him. Thank you for looking out for me. Zeba, I appreciate it. David asked Zeba the obvious question. And where is Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, your boss, you remember, the king asked him. And here it is. David's betrayal by his own son barely gets a mention. Look at this one. Mephibosheth stayed in Jerusalem, Zeba replied. Mephibosheth said, according to Ziba, today I will get back the kingdom of my grandfather Saul. David is in trouble. Believed what Ziba said. No reason not to. I read through the Bible every year. They read it to me these days. I don't actually risk paper cuts anymore. I'm not a, not a heathen. They read it to me. I was reading through the Bible a couple of years ago. There's always new stuff that strikes me. I've been doing this for decades. Always new stuff that stands out. A few years ago, I read this, and I was really disappointed in Mephibosheth. Apparently, that was where the day's Bible reading, and I wasn't paying attention the next day. So as I was talking to the 14-year-old and my wife this week, I said, well, we're talking about Mephibosheth. I used to really like Mephibosheth, but not after what he did to David. So I sit down on Monday to read through all of this, and I find out, well, I find out this. David's in trouble. Mephibosheth is in Jerusalem. Ziba is with David and reports that Mephibosheth is taking advantage of this coup, going to take over. Verse 4, David says, well, in that case, David said to Ziba, I give you everything Mephibosheth owns. All that that I gave to Mephibosheth that now belongs to you. So the transferring of the possessions right on the spot, this is how you would treat a rebel in ancient times. I gave you land, it's gone now. It's over to those who are... I can trust over to the faithful. 
And Ziba says, I bow before you. May I always be pleasing to you, my lord, the king. Now, it seems straightforward. And when I was reading through this a couple of years ago, clearly I wasn't paying attention to the next part. Seems crushing. If you've been through a recent betrayal that's still on your mind, that hurts. And you start to ruminate. Now we're going to fast forward a bit. I mean, after all that David did for Mephibosheth, for Mephibosheth to now claim heir to the throne. Oh, verse 24. Now Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, came down from Jerusalem to meet the king. Worked through the trouble. David is now doing better. Quelled the trouble. Mephibosheth had not cared for his feet, had not trimmed his beard, had not washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. David, who leads the Bible study right after, NASA boy right there, he said, so I was reading through this this week, and I thought, is this supposed to be a clue for us? Because there's some ambivalence. Who was right, Mephibosheth or Ziba? What this is, you've seen depression. Hopefully you haven't experienced it to this point. And I'm not pointing fingers to everybody with a beard, but nothing? That's nothing? See, I mean for some of these to be jokes. I'll just tell you when I'm about to make a joke. Right? And then you'll be ready. So he hadn't washed. He was so distraught. Mephibosheth was so distraught that David wasn't in charge, that David was going through this stress. Mephibosheth was said by Ziba that Mephibosheth was trying to take over. And instead, he was so distraught, he didn't even take care of himself. If you're going to take over, you're going to clean yourself up. Mephibosheth, you look terrible. Good gracious, man. I'm disappointed in you, but, you know, I'm disappointed, but a shower is still in, in order. Have you ever had the betrayal conversation long after the fact? If I were to tell you a, a, a terrible story of betrayal in my life, the other person got arrested. I'm not the bad guy here. It would have involved later, a couple of years later, I get an email apologizing, said it was all me. I told lies. I got people all worked up. It was me. And the emotion was gone. We had a, we had a nice little exchange. Part of his uh, rehab, no, part of the 12-step program was make amends where you've thrown bombs in other people's lives. So I was on the list pretty high up. That's this conversation. After it's all over, the emotion is gone. Mephibosheth and David meet. It's too late. In the moment when David needed an ally, Mephibosheth wasn't there. So now David asked, verse 25, Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? I thought we were friends. I was friends with your dad. I took care of you. Why didn't you come with me when I needed you? Ziba was there. He brought donkeys and booze. Where were you? Verse 26, Mephibosheth replied, my lord, the king, my servant Ziba deceived me. What? I told Ziba, saddle my donkey so I can go with David. For as you know, this keeps coming up. I am crippled. When my feet hurt, I tell everybody too. Can I get an amen? But it changes the story. Mephibosheth needed to rely on other people. And the person he was relying on, there was a sign to, to him, let him down. Verse 27, 
Ziba has slandered me by saying that I refuse to come. But I know that my Lord the King is like an angel of God, so do what you think is best. Isn't that a strange thing to say? So if you're David, when you needed Mephibosheth, he wasn't there. When you asked, where's Mephibosheth? I thought he would be here with me. Ziba said, oh, no, he's stabbing you in the back. And now it's all these days, weeks, months later. And finally, we're having the conversation. Mephibosheth said, I tried to come with you, but Ziba didn't help me. And then he lied about me. And Mephibosheth said, Mephibosheth, whoo, that was close. Mephibosheth said, you're like an angel of God to me. I know that God has put you in this position of king. I'm not against you in any way. Do what you think is best. Verse 28, all my relatives and I could expect only death from you. You could have killed us all, and you didn't. But instead, you have honored me by allowing me to eat at your own table. What more can I ask? Verse 29, you've said enough, David replied. I've decided that you and Ziba will divide your land equally between you. This is one of the most ironic weaknesses of all the saints in the Bible. King David who was willing to take on the giant, said, I'm going to take on the giant because he's disrespected God. I'm on God's side. I'm going to go teach that giant a lesson. And he did. David, who went into battle and fought, killed all the enemies. David, who also was remarkably sweet and gracious whenever there was a reason to be, as he showed with Mephibosheth. But King David didn't like conflict in his personal life. Warrior David was terrible with personal conflict. Now, of course, it's not you or me, but you know people like this. In a position where you need them to be decisive, they take the middle route. In school, a fight breaks out. And one person's defending themselves, and they both get in trouble equally. Well, I don't know who started it. Well, you could ask. Notice the ring of kids all around. It'd probably be some indication of who you could find out who started it. Are you supposed to just stand there and let someone pummel you? No. It's a weakness for David because when you are the authority, you have to hold others accountable or everyone suffers. It's demoralizing. You have to be the keeper of the rules. Without rules, society crumbles. So half, half, Ziba lied about me and now he gets half. And from Mephibosheth's point of view, I could have zero. So the fact that I have half to give away is great to already have taken from me. But somebody lied. Either Mephibosheth is lying or Ziba's lying. Hmm. Betrayal. It turns out Mephibosheth is the one who's betrayed. For all the betrayal that David did, and now here we are. David could fix this. Mephibosheth is betrayed by his assigned employee and a little bit by David. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth said, give him all of it. I am content just to have you safely back again, my lord and king. Can you imagine how awkward this solution by David is? David knew Ziba, Saul's trusted servant, 
So he wanted to trust Ziba, but he also knew Mephibosheth and liked Mephibosheth, and both stories seem plausible in the moment. What could David do? You could ask the ring of kids. You could put someone in charge, special counsel, and find out what the story is. One of these people is going to be in big trouble. But David didn't want the conflict. So he then creates this awkward solution. We just turn the page in the Bible and it's on to a new adventure, but these were real people living real lives. Can you imagine how awkward this was? So unsatisfying for Mephibosheth. Ziba and family and Mephibosheth and family are now neighbors. And they have to do the practical work of dividing up this land. Somebody just built a pool on property that's no longer theirs, right? Because now there's got to be a dividing line, and this is going to be yours, and that's going to be mine. But if the servants, are the family of Ziba is serving, working for the family of Mephibosheth, they probably don't live across the tracks. They probably intermingle a bit so that you have somebody just outside. Those are the servants' quarters. It's a nice house, but it's not as nice as my house, but they're close by. Now you've got to divide all this up. Somebody has a tractor on the wrong half. And Ziba is rewarded for lying. He worked for the king. Had a good, sweet gig. But now he owns, he's a property owner just because he took advantage of the situation and lied. So he's not serving Mephibosheth. Now it's, howdy, neighbor. Pretty sneaky of me, huh? So the lesson from Mephibosheth, first... When we've been through betrayal, the next time you go through betrayal, the betrayal you're currently thinking about, there's a recognition that life is different now. We used to own all of this and have employees, and now we need new employees, and we don't own all of this. Ziba used to be my employee, and now we're equals. We're just neighbors. So when you've been through betrayal, you have to recognize that life is different. The relationship with Ziba is different. The relationship with David is different. Because at some level, Mephibosheth has to deal with the fact that David didn't believe him. Because if David believed him, he would have said, well, that darn Ziba, he's going to be in big trouble. But we have to allow important relationships family, other friends to continue. It's up to Mephibosheth to thrive in this new reality. So when it happens, there's a period of mourning. This is different. There's a period of mourning. I had a good friend and I trusted them and I don't trust them anymore. You can be sad about that. You don't have to go talk to anybody. You don't have to label yourself. You can just be sad. It might be really helpful to go talk to somebody. It might be really important to go talk to somebody. It's up to Mephibosheth to thrive, realizing things are different. So how do you move forward? Well, what we see from Mephibosheth is gratefulness. Let him have the land. I'm just grateful I'm alive. I'm grateful you're alive. Gratitude. Here's one. One of my old guy friends said this to me once. Don't let people of low moral character knock you off your appointed task. Don't let people of low moral character knock you off your appointed task. You're going to run into some losers in life. Don't let them define it. You're going to have to deal with them. But don't be so bitter about the fact that there are 
people in this world who aren't what they should be that it ruins all your other relationships. We can be so mad at one person that all the ones that are great suffer. The next no fun lesson from Mephibosheth's very bad day is forgiveness. C.S. Lewis, the English writer, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I think you should forgive people who have done terrible things to you. Sometimes forgiveness is accepting the apology you'll never get so you can move on. For their sake? No, for our sake. You've heard lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and hope the other person dies, right? Drinking poison and hope the other person suffers. We are so worked up about it, and who knows, they may have moved on. They might do this so regularly, they didn't even notice. Be years before you, you get an apology, if you get one at all. They might not be capable, low moral character. They might not even be capable of recognizing what they did needs an apology. Sometimes it's just accepting the apology we're not going to get and moving on, not for their sake, but for ours. And the real basis for forgiving someone who has betrayed us is recognizing God has first forgiven us. We love others because God first loves us. We forgive others because God first forgives us. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Sitting around the table with his friends. Do you have the communion cup in front of you? Sitting around the table with Jesus' friends, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. There's just the 12. We've been together a long time, Peter and John and James and the rest. What do you mean? Why are you going to bring who? Why are you going to bring that up if you're not going to say who it is? One of you is going to betray me. All of us need to look inside and realize that we're all capable of terrible sin in the right situation. My Jewish dad used to have me read The Rise and Fall of the Third Right all the time. Every year, he'd pay me to read it, and we'd talk about it. Started in third grade. Over the years, my understanding grew. One of the things that was crazy is, why would German people go along with this? And one of the harsh realities is, it's really easy to go along with it. We all love a common enemy. Don't demonize your fellow citizens is the lesson, but it's really easy to treat someone, either you don't know them, or you've met them and they've disappointed you, so now you treat them as less than human. Think of the next person who cuts you off in traffic, right? Is your first thought, well, I hoped they get to the hospital before the person they're going to see dies, right? No, it's not what we think at all. We think, what a loser. Driving the 14-year-old to Christian school this week, a Tesla with Massachusetts plates pulled right in front of us, I drive a, a boxy Toyota, four-cylinder, maximum speed on that thing. I don't know. I've never had enough time to get it past 45. Tesla pulls out in front of us and doesn't speed up. Fastest car in production currently, and it's just poking along. All right, so I go in the lane to pass them, and then they start to weave, just fade like you do. Don't you have lane assist? You have a computer. That thing's a computer. What is going on? Why are you pulling in front of me? Why are you going slow and why are you weaving? So I honk my little Model A horn that Toyota gave me. And the person straightens up and they get in their lane and then they speed off. And so I turn to my 14-year-old and say, I'm just filled with the love of Jesus for them. Now, instantly start making fun of them. 
in memorable ways. On my deathbed, he's going to say, Dad, remember that time that Tesla pulled us over with pulled in front of his Massachusetts chase? That was pretty funny. How do we betray someone? Well, we stop thinking of them as human. How can we do terrible things for people? All of us can do terrible things. Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And in the moment, he met Judas. But if he's honest, it's all of us from time to time. In the right situation, we can do some terrible things. And specifically, Jesus was letting Judas Iscariot know it's not too late. You haven't done it yet. You got the plan set up. You haven't, you haven't finished it yet. You don't have to do this. And Judas got up and left. One of the most stunning sentences in the Bible. Judas got up and left. Yet the God of the universe and sandals sitting right there, the source of all forgiveness and love, and you get up and you leave. If you're going to do it, do it now. All right, I'll go. Jesus was betrayed, led to the death sentence. But the reason we're here this morning is it wasn't the end. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus did not say, I am finished. It is finished. The work is done. Sin is still a reality but it's not the final word anymore. Redemption, reconciliation is key. It's our relationships with our Heavenly Father work. It's why Jesus had to be here. It's how day-to-day relationships work. We have to figure out in our own life with our parents and our children and our friends and the rest of the family and our coworkers and our neighbors, when do we bring this up and when is it not worth bringing up? When do we have to say, hey, I, I, I need to hear your perspective on this because from my perspective, what you did was crazy. And then maybe they get their perspective and you say, you know, that makes all the sense in the world. If I'd been in your position, I may have done the same thing. That makes sense. It might be that they didn't realize and they owe you an apology. It might be that you owe them an apology. Reconciliation is how relationships work. It's not the fun part, but whether it's a friendship, a romantic relationship, a business relationship, we have to reconcile. Sometimes a relationship, sometimes people aren't capable of being in a relationship with you and you have to let them go. We have to change our expectations. We have to grieve and we have to work to not punish the good people in our life. We love others because the Lord first loved us. We forgive others because the Lord first forgave us. Jesus was sitting around the table. Judas gets up and leaves. And Jesus takes the table bread. Could have used waffles, but we'll use this. Just the normal bread around the table. You've been to an Italian restaurant, right? Nothing? Roman Empire? Nothing? Rome jokes? Okay. Take the table wine. Take the table bread. Jesus takes the bread. Make sure everybody gets a piece of this and hold on. Peter, don't start eating. This is a new thing we're doing. Passover celebration, angel of death passed over and beat up the bullies in Egypt, got God's people out of there. They were celebrating the Passover, and Jesus said, let me expand this. We're going to beat up the bullies of evil everywhere for all time. If you want to be part of the kingdom of God, this is my body broken for you. Eat all of it. For the Passover in the Old Testament... 
they were agricultural people. So they brought a woolly lamb in the house and the kids named it Lammy and they had it in there all week and they fell in love with it and they slept in the bed and taught it to fetch and did tricks. And then the sacrifice had to happen. The sacrifice. Something has to be paid for this, for reconciliation to happen. Somebody has to say, I was wrong. Someone has to pay something. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. Huh. We don't do that. After Jesus, we don't need to. But the blood of Jesus had to be spilled. Once you kill the Son of God, you don't have to kill a lamb anymore. And Jesus showed us that death is not the end. But to get there, Jesus said, this is my blood spilled for you. If you want it, drink all of it. Then they sang a song and went to the Mount of Olives where David was. We're going to have Edward and the gang lead us in a, in a song. And then, uh, then we'll cover the announcements, ways to join together, make some friends. And then we're going to go out for, for waffles. Teenagers, is the, is the bacon ready? Oh, man, that's going to be sweet. But let's get prayed up. Heavenly Father, relationships are a delight. They are the best thing of our life. And they are one of the most, they are the challenging thing of our life. Would you give us the maturity, the grace, the kindness to be good to those around us, to let them be who they are, to call them to hire when necessary, to let them call us to hire when necessary? Lord, would you give us the courage to embrace? It's easier to click out, but it's more fun to embrace the relationships you have given us. If someone doesn't know you, that relationship with you, that ABC approach to the relationship with our creator, A is to admit we are sinners building our own kingdom. B is to believe that Jesus is the one who makes us worthy of the kingdom of God. And C is to choose to be a child of God in this world from now all the way into eternity. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen.